0: Welcome to Blight Bringers, a Legion of Ever Blight-focused podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Tyrone, and joining me this week is Cutter. Welcome back!
1: Hey, ahoy everyone! Excited to be here today.
0: Yeah, it's good to have you back. It's been a little bit, I guess, not that much, because we kind of took a couple weeks off to recharge and see where Legion was headed, but...
1: Time about. is an illusion.
0: <laughs> yeah, what is time? Uh, also, look, we got Ryan. Welcome back, Ryan.
2: Also, ahoy.
0: Oh, you gotta it's get your own catchphrase, right?
2: Adam, I, I I'm not cool enough for a catchphrase. I'm just gonna steal cutters until it becomes mine, and that's that's how this is gonna work.
0: Alright, sounds good. Yeah, well, uh, I think we announced this last episode, but special guest, Will Hungerford. Oh, hi. That's He's... my catchphrase. Okay, oh, yeah. hi. It's pretty close to cutters,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but I'll allow it. I like
1: sure. the subtlety. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Mike
0: phrases the show behind you and just be like, Hello. <laughs> well that's terrifying. Yeah. Uh well, Will, it's great to have you back on the show. It's been a while. We had you on for Oblivion, right?
3: I think that was the last time was yeah, Oblivion. So it's been right at a year now.
0: God, has it been that long? Oh, yeah,
3: Oblivion yeah, what, came out of GenCon last year. What
0: is time? Yeah.
2: That does not feel like a year ago.
3: I no. know. Oh, yeah, and wow. Gen-, Gen Con will be yeah. happening next month. So, yeah, maybe just under a year.
2: Ugh, I just, uh, I don't like the way that feels now. Take it back. Take it back.
0: I mean,
3: we're probably going to be this way for a while, though. So, we might as well just get comfy.
0: Can we just mulligan 2020? I, you know,
3: I don't know it would help. I I think t- 2021 may not be that different.
0: Ah, oh, crap.
2: I've been saying that for at least the past three or four years in the U.S., like, because this is every year has just been getting perpetually worse for some reason. So it's like, um, no. Next year will be better, and then next year comes around, and it's like, oh no, I was very wrong.
1: Yeah, they kind of jumped the shark on this one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this dude. is like
3: when you're playing Sim City and you turn all the disasters on at once, and you're just like, let's see what happens.
2: <laughs> There's no way this could go badly, right? Yeah. Right?
3: Yeah. So, I'm glad we started off on such an upbeat note for the podcast. (laughs) Yeah, like everyone's really excited and like cheerful now to listen to what we have to say.
0: We got to set a bar, and then exceed it.
1: Yeah, Yeah, uh, I mean, it's appropriate for like a global pandemic, right? For Everblight, really? uh, I didn't even think about that.
0: Oh, I was so proud of that post on Legion. Let me tell you.
1: Yeah, I saw that. It's it's very good.
2: Meme master, that's what you are. Yeah. Uh, Besides, if we set super low and get everyone like toned down, then we can ramp the excitement back up with the hype train. <laughs> and you know, that's it's like a roller coaster.
3: It's great. That's the that's the goal, unless we fail miserably and just make everyone feel worse progressively throughout the episode. Let's see which way we go. I I'm think sure. both are possible.
0: Yeah, I'm sure we can find a way We're to
2: good. do that. Help do our all right. So uh Will, you're here because Legion not see is happening right now. Uh, started on Wednesday. How hype are you for all of the changes?
3: um i mean it's hype is an interesting word to use for it um i mean this is stuff that's been in testing for quite some time now um and i'm definitely of the mind that by the time it gets to cid because this is the first cid that i'm fully i'm fully running i took over as lead in the middle of the strange bedfellows cid so this is my first one start to finish there was definitely excitement about that about getting to run my own um and the fact that everyone's seeing stuff at pretty much like the stage before lock. Like I like for people when it's a CID that we're we're almost done with everything and then it's just like little minor tweaks, which I think creates a really good vibe with people um, because uh, stuff doesn't seem like a massive upheaval and they don't expect like big major changes, which some of our CIDs in the past we have had, had like weeks that kind of swung back and forth and we're, we're definitely not going to be doing that in the CID um but going into that with that mindset it's like all the stuff that we're presenting to everybody has to really be dialed in otherwise you'll get a really negative reaction so there's like a nervous excitement of like kind of showing everyone what you've been working on and then seeing what that initial reaction is it, you know it could go south very easily and luckily it has not in general the cid is very positive and very constructive and very chill so i'm i am more hyped now that the ball is rolling and people are uh, responding positively to everything that's happening.
2: Nice. Um, with the changes for CID, because normally it's always been like battle reports and direct feedback has always been the best type of response to give, right? So yeah. thing, uh, changing where it was kind of like, "Hey, we made the responsible decision. We're not telling anybody to go out and play games. We just want your thoughts. We just want to see, you know, what you do with the models, what you do with the lists." Um, the, the response has been surprisingly good. It sounds like is that sound, you know accurate?
3: Yes. And that was the biggest roll of the dice was not only are we doing like, this is my first CID that I'm running start to finish with all the stuff that we've been working on, but it's also a weird CID because like you said, we can't have anybody going out and playing and it's so unorthodox. And I mean, going into it, it was just the risk versus reward. It was like, okay, we either just don't do a CID at all. Or we try and do this CID that, that going into it, we know has the potential to kind of backfire. Like if, if, The no battle report thing didn't really work out, but, you know, we have faith in the process and in being able to provide guidance and then in the community to be able to provide feedback within the parameters of what we can, we can take. So, um, it was scary, but I think it was the right decision. And I think it's proving out to be the right decision to do it this way. I still think there's some that we can't, like, I can't do the steamroller CID in this current condition because that is literally just. I need people to play games. Like it's not necessarily list construction and reviewing new model types. It's, you know, we need to see what your scores were at the end of round, whatever. And, and, you know, were you able to contest and how did your game go? And so the steamroller CID is still like postponed until, and who knows when that'll be.
2: Yeah. You think as far as the steamroller one goes, that that'll be out this year. Are you content leaving it with the 2019 packet in the
3: 2019? It's in a good spot. If 2019 wasn't in a good spot, I'd be more worried, but I think it is a fine package. And while there's little things I want to tweak, I don't think it's necessary to do so. Also, most people aren't gathering to go play in tournaments. Um, so it's not as high a priority as you know new model rules. So if it has to coast until it's... Well, it has to coast until it's safe, so it will. And I don't think we will suffer because of that.
2: Cool. Oh, I like it. I feel like I'm uh, monopolizing everything here. Somebody else know.
1: <laughs> Cutter? Yeah, I have, a, I have a good lead in. Uh, this was a question that um, I sent a little ahead of time for kind of a topic. Um, so basically, something I was interested in, um, and I think the community in general is interested in, is how you went about approaching the design space for Legion of Everblight to kind of clarify your take on the faction and the new model's roles within that context and maybe how that connects to like how you're taking the reins on design in general.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of us, a lot of our Legion players, we played in Mark II. I mean, I played Legion in Mark II a ton, like my, one of my own personal armies. And it was like the beast faction. And the, the running joke was the infantry didn't matter. They didn't exist. All you played was beasts. And it has definitely morphed away from that. I mean, there are strong beast builds you can play, but like, Legion is more than just its battle groups. I think if a faction was only ever just its battle groups, and that's the only thing it did, That would be boring, especially when you've got so many different types of infantry and solos and and things you could do. So my intent is to make sure that the beast builds aren't necessarily suffering, which is why you see a focus on a lot of beasts in the CID and making sure that the beasts I felt needed the help the most that we could test and get out there in the time we had to allot to them are, are in the CID. But it was also to like take a massive chunk of legion. Um which in this case was the NIS, the NIS infantry, and really define their roles and make them feel viable and playable to really help flesh out Legion builds. Um, and then another part of this was, I felt going into this, that the Legion list building process, especially looking at the themes, was feeling a little stagnant. And there were a few things in our design that we could do to help open things up. The Blight Archon being like first and foremost amongst those. The Blight Archon just unlocks... So many different builds, uh, by virtue of well buffing almost all the warlocks uh, and their their attacks. I mean, we're seeing so many people play Lilith again, like Lilith one, two, and three, uh, and just the different things that it, it could bring. And th- that was that was my goal. It was almost like a, a a joint that had locked up, and I was trying to just loosen it up a little bit. And I felt like part of that was every, there. Were, things were far too enticing on the primal terrors and and beast build side of things, and I needed to really boost up the rest instead of nerfing anything down uh to me legions playstyles you know it's about mobility you got a lot of really fast things um there is glass cannon aspects of it a lot of things that can hit hard that don't necessarily have the highest defense i mean they're not nearly as as tanky as say uh kator or as synergistic as say protectorate but at the same time there's an aspect of design at this point in war machine that is just something we have to realize is that the core factions, the ones that Prime and Primal began with, are so big now. There's so many models for them that back when there was only say 20 or 30 model entries per faction, the faction identity was far more narrow by definition of what existed. Now you can you can build a tanky legion build because you can play Primal Terrors and you know Callus and run Blight Archons and throw out Dragon's Blood, or you can play a super fast one or a super shooty one. And it's just making sure at this point that no matter for what faction you're playing, that you have multiple viable builds to play, that they feel interesting, and that they do feel somewhat distinct from the other factions as best they can. And I think Legions really lends itself well to mobility, stealth, um, range that can often see through and negate a lot of defensive buffs, and then some aspects of the glass cannon, but far, far less than it ever was in Mark II by like... Magnitudes.
1: Cool. Thanks for kind of laying out your thoughts on where it fits in relation to everything else.
3: Yeah, and it's a hard question to answer because, like I said, it's just we can build a super gun line in Kador. We can build a super fast list in Kador. We can build a tanky list in Kador, and all those exact statements are exactly true for Legion. Uh, and that has to do more with the the breadth and width of the game at this point because every new model that comes out either needs to fill a new role or it just invalidates something that existed before if you kept layering on top of the exact same design space. So by nature of expansion, it's just going to happen.
2: Now, with that being the case, is there anything you tend to shy away from with certain factions? Um, So like, say, Kador, do you watch it, you know, maybe how much speed you're giving them in like a general list because they can play these tanky units, so maybe giving them, you know, the advantage of like, okay, they're really hard to kill, but now they can also go, a million miles in one turn that might be something to keep an eye on or two different more, i'm
3: sorry uh, go ahead uh, there's two different kind of categories one there's the overall game health and just generally looking at threat ranges across the board uh and we know like right now threat uh he- stacking threat ranges and stacking armor is very popular in the meta but we also don't design for the current meta we design for the game health overall so we keep an eye on that stuff in general but when we look at a faction and what we're adding to it At this point, it's more, what is something this faction doesn't do that it can do? And does this create fun opportunities for new players without being, you know, toxic to the rest of the game in some other way? Uh, And so if we did Kador and we wanted to do a super speedy uh, list that was like more high def, low armor, fast models, I mean, we could do a Kayazi block if we wanted to, and that would make complete sense. Uh, There's there's core tenets, like, you know, Kador doesn't really get arc nodes. and that Protectorate stuff has definitely the synergistic and sort of punishment, vengeance, denial aspects to them. So we do make sure that the, the the core faction feel is there. And I think you see that within a lot of the Legion stuff. But in this new Legion block, we even added an entirely new element, which, you know, previously could have kind of been considered a Crick's thing was Corrosion. But... You know, it made sense here, and now Legion has sort of entered the ring as a faction that, if it wants to, can put down a million and one con- continuous effect tokens in one turn. But it all works within a specific self contained block. So it's, there's only a handful of things that a faction wouldn't get, or if they did get it, it would definitely be toned down and compared to other factions.
2: Take it. Uh, so speaking of new models and uh, corrosion and all that fun stuff. Uh, we got quite a few of the, like you said, new models that provided all those things between Bethane 2, who I still think looks super cool, uh, the Blight Archon, the Virtues, the Virtue Champion. Uh, you were, you know, head design and head lead for all of them from start to finish, correct?
3: Uh, I, they were the first, so I've been doing the Riot Quest models since uh, very early on in Riot Quest, where all the new heroes came out, where I was lead design development on those for both Riot Quest and War Machine. Um. And while I've been involved in the development of War Machine for a very long time now, um, when I got when I was taken over as lead was again during Strange Bedfellows, and there are some things I had been pitching around that kind of got finally cemented as as happening um, was the Legion block was the very first one, and that was me like writing up all my pitches and my ideas and sending them to Matt and Matt approving them, and so yeah, these are I guess my first my first War Machine babies.
2: Nice. That sounds that
3: sounds
1: weird.
2: It's fine. It, it fits in, sort of.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, it yeah. definitely fits with the, the Nephilim theme,
2: right? Yeah.
3: I definitely, like, I knew I wanted to do Hordes as the first two blocks I was going to work on because we'd had such a heavy War Machine year. And uh, Legion and Trolls, you know, I just looked at what the other factions had received. And Legion and Trolls were the first two that popped in my mind immediately because I felt that they had gone a while without getting something. And I also just had ideas for what to do with them. And the troll stuff, when people see it, it's definitely more like militaristic, more like, you know, uh, like troll marines kind of thing, um, which was a lot of fun to work on. And then the idea of them working with the Pharaoh. But I feel like when I started the Legion stuff, the Virtues, the Arcana and Bethane, I had been working on the whimsical side of Riot Quest. And, and you know, a lot of Riot Quest models, some of them are really serious, but some of them are more like whimsical and 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 fantastical that my mind just went to like the darkest side it possibly could to start doing the Legion stuff. And Bethane too was the first thing I came up with. And it was just like pure watching the thing and just going straight body horror. And I was like, yeah, Incubi exists. This is something Everblight would do. Like, let's really, let's, let's turn up the horror aspect of, of Legion, which was a great departure from the, the, the quest stuff I've been working on. So um, that thing didn't, I think she actually got toned down a little bit from how gross her original ideas were, but I think we ended up in a really good spot on how she looks and how she's just really a disturbing model thematically.
2: How gross was she originally if this was the turned down version? She's
3: she's pretty missed. I mean, I still love that, like, I got to name the feet flesh web, and in my mind, so whenever, because the thing people don't see in CID is the fluff blurbs that go on all the feats. And... Uh, when I write the fluff blurb on her feed, I'm gonna really make sure it, it the the image is created for you because what she's doing is basically turning people her her forces their flesh into putty, and she's connecting them through spider like strands of flesh to where like their vessels and their blood and their their marrow and their organs are all flowing between each other. So that when you hit one of them, it's almost like hitting a giant jello mold. Like the whole like the whole legion of force wobbles and like someone down the line bleeds, but the guy you hit doesn't even, doesn't even hit it. It's like, it's like punching the blob. And I like that. It's, it's
2: appropriately disturbing. Sounds absolutely disgusting. Well done.
0: So let's just quickly, let's just quickly stop on Bethane for a second. Um, I know there's a lot of discussion about her feet and there's like a weird interaction with like transferring. Like, do we know what's happening with that feet?
3: So her feed is definitely getting updated in week two, which week two is going to go live on Monday, barring any problems. Um, We tested this feed and we tested multiple iterations of this feed a lot before people saw it. So the version people are going to see on week two is something that we have definitely like considered. Um, We know what it does and it will be much cleaner. I think because when the version that exists now works, but it we saw it was opening up enough questions for people and would need a pretty substantial tack tip out of the gate. And I don't want that. Like, I want the feet to read how, like, you read it, you understand it. Um, so it will get cleaner in the exact way the transference works so that it will not lead to a lot of questions. So we're going to end up toning some as- uh, an aspect of it down, but at the same time, we are toning other aspects of it up. Uh, And I think come Monday, people are going to see that. I definitely want the rest of the weekend for people to test with the current version because it's it's providing a lot of really good feedback, seeing how they're using it, like what their ideas and their list of like, I'm bringing four Harriers and then these two heavies. And my plan is to jam with these two heavies and feet and then just have these giant damage sponges, which is a lot of the kind of things we did in playtest as well. And so it's it's good to see player mentality lining up with playtest mentality. And it shows us that like people are going to go for the same thing we were doing and we know how that works and that's because it's, it's, it's interesting when the, the player reaction is to go to a very different place than we play tested, and then we're like oh that's an interesting interaction and, or an interesting strength or weakness that we necessarily didn't test as much as we might want of, wanted to have so it puts a spotlight on something that we need to go back and re-review and uh, that has currently not been the case with Bethane 2 so it's just going to be a matter of cleaning it up.
0: Okay cool thank you uh, Cutter I cut you off a little bit there Oh, did I cut off? No, I cut off. Oh Carter. no,
1: I think I think he yeah. Um Yeah, I don't remember what I was gonna say now.
0: Okay. But. Well then uh how about we move on from Bethane to to the virtues? Um I know there's like like they're kind of getting a lot of mixed feedback. Like people don't really know if they're good enough, if they're too good. Like what's what's your view on where the virtues are and like what is their purpose, do you think?
3: They're multi purpose, and I think that you look at their design and that's what it is. They they do a few different things. I think the people that are making the comparisons of their melee output to just a unit of swordsman is not the right way to look at them, per se. Um, There's a lot of different types of lists that Legion could have trouble dealing with, and if we were like, okay, you're going to face this single wound infantry spam that uh, is going to stack heavily in recursion, or stack heavily in armor, stack heavily in death, whatever it might be, you know, there's traditional ways of how you fight that. Like we could have given Legion a bunch of crazy threat ranges, or we could have given them a bunch of like damage and, and arm stacking. But it was like, no, we can do something fresh here, and the virtues sort of provide that. And like now, Legion, like Everblight, can literally almost sort of blight the other side of the the board. You can just lay down a withering amount of skater templates that against single wound infantry are are crippling against multi wound infantry. There's actually a few plays you can do where you can layer the skater templates sort of behind, like not exactly on top of each other so that even multi wood infantry has to go through several of them to get you. And I think being able to play this board control play with the virtues is very interesting. But what they do as a unit is they're a, a credible threat range. They're a credible melee range. Are they the best threat range in Legion? No. Are they the best melee threat in Legion? No. But they take the buffs from either kind of uh, of spells or upkeeps or abilities well. If you have something that's gonna buff, you know, how far they charge or how well they hit in melee, the virtues take it. If you have someone like Lilith Two that's gonna let them shoot twice, they can take it. They they slot into a lot of different lists. And it just depends on how you want to run them. You can go with single unit champion running up a flank, just being harassing and trying to like scather away some some infantry coming your way or protecting you from ambushing coming your way. Or you can go the full virtue boat with like double tariff, where your plan is to literally drop as many AOEs on the board as you can and prevent your opponent from moving through them while also protecting yourself and the things behind them with the, the rolling cloud wall. So sort of the name of the game of them is they typically are not fighting heavies. They're usually very good into a wide variety of infantry uh, and they're versatile. And we were looking to make their versatility such that when if you have an upkeep that gives everyone, say, uh, weapon master, or let's not say weapon master, plus three damage on their melee attacks, um, you're going to put that on a unit of swordsmen, because ten men are going to take that. But on, the, on virtues, you're still getting six attacks out of that. And similarly, if you had a spell on the same caster that gave a unit snipe, obviously that does nothing for the, the swordsmen, but it does do something for the virtues. And that's where we want them to be, is where nearly any caster you run them with, they, they do something that feels good, and they take those buffs well.
2: So the other thing that's been talked a lot about, especially with the Virtues, is because of all the scathers they can put down, that mm-hmm. uh, people think it kind of in, almost invalidates single wound infantry, right? Um, the, com- the, the talk has been that they're POW-10, so, you know, the shot itself isn't going to do that much damage, but if you do run three units of them, you can just casually put nine scathers out on the table, and it completely neuters single wound infantry lists, and that's, you know, a, a bad experience as well as it hurts trying to keep track of the table, especially if they put the, the, the clouds on themselves from the champion. Now you've got 18 rings on the table that all, you know, half of them do one thing and half of them do another. Um, From a design perspective, is that like a, a problem that you look at and say, okay, this could actually be a thing? Um, Or is it kind of just, it's part of the game, therefore we deal with it?
3: Um, so that was the, one of the first things were the AOE, specifically the amount of them. We played a lot with that, and that was one of the early concerns, is how much of a pain is this to actually play with, to drop this many AoEs? And given the tools that exist out there, the hollow rings and and other things you can put down, cloud templates and just any any number of different ways of of dropping AoEs, we found it to not be that cumbersome. Uh, And being able to do the cloud walls if you're running the champion and drop the scathers, is just a big part of their package. As for the scathers invalidating single-win infantry, I think it really depends on the kind of list that your opponent's bringing. I think they're very strong into melee-focused only single-win infantry, and I think that's one of the things they do, is that they are a counter to those kind of lists, which is why most formats are double-list. If you see your opponent's bringing Legion and they've got the Virtue Boat in one of their lists, then hopefully your second list is not also relying on only single-win infantry. Um, But it, it kind of also depends on what you're facing. Like I said, if you're just doing straight Immortals, for example, that could be kind of rough. But if you have any ranged elements of any sort, it creates an interesting counterplay in the threat ranges the Virtues are capable of, uh, and you having to snipe out specific ones to try and play around the Scather. Uh, Also, if they don't have the Blight Archon up there, which a lot of people tend to run the Blight Archon midfields, they might not be stripping away the Immunity Corrosion. Um, There's there's ways to get around that if you're running Immunity Corrosion in your list. Uh, So as long as counterplay exists to it, we're fine. But as long as it has a defined role and a strength, we're also fine. And we feel the virtues currently fall into that range right now. I will say the one thing that's come out of the CID that I'm not happy with is that uh, definitely seeing a lot of people talk about how they are, they are too self supporting. And that is primarily not just because they have the assault AoE that corrodes things and then that, that triggers peel back the layers, but that their melee attacks also have continuous effect corrosion. So even if they're not blight clouding, and even if they're already stuck in the melee and they're not assaulting, it doesn't really matter because they just make the first swing. If they hit, then peel back is, is triggered automatically. And that definitely resonated. So like in the next update, they are losing continuous corrosion on their claws, but we are then giving something to both the host and the champions to uh, allow them to become even more versatile. It's a small thing, but I think it's things that something that will make people a lot of ha- a lot happier. It will help them to be able to hang back and just play the range game and then charge forward later if they want to instead of feeling a little bit more confined.
2: Cool. Sounds awesome. Um, and since you brought up the Blade Archon, he's been another one that's, you know, I don't want to say been contentious, but there's been a lot of people that are, you know, he's way too strong or he's just not strong enough. And um, I personally, I think he's super cool. But the one thing I thought was interesting was that Everyone, or I can't say everyone, I guess, a lot of lists I keep seeing with him are talking about, yeah, I'll take him with two rakes and a flanking force. They're going to take one side of the field and, you know, maybe just run that side. But nobody seems to be looking at him as like a centerpiece to, you know, buff the units around him or run the middle of the table. When you guys were uh, playtesting him with a spell list, is that kind of how you envisioned him and how his kit would work?
3: The idea be- between, or the idea of the Blight Archon is it kind of has three modes. Uh, and the spell list spells those out. Uh, Impending Doom says run the Blight Archon up there. Um, uh, Crimson Ballet says run a battle group of any number of Legion Beasts that really love Sprint, of which there's a lot and play the battle group style and then Dragon's Blood says play a more supporty role and hang back and maybe take, instead of a double rake, take like a tariff or a pair of mechano Shredders so that you become more of a, a buff bot. The thing about the Blight Archon is its versatility and I think you can play it in a lot of different ways. I also, the, the, some of the people that have said it's too powerful, I think one thing that has not fully set in yet is that that thing is not point cost eight. It says it's point cost eight, but it's not. It really warps your list building when you, in, you include one, and it needs to do a lot when it does that. But if you run it with just, like I say, a single shredder or a harrier to take the minimum amount of points you can do, you're not getting the most out of your blind archon. And you're also not banking on the survivability. Like, you need to want, you want to have those transfers. It's 1417, which is a respectable uh, death stat, but it's got some of the lowest damage boxes of any Archon with only 12. And that's because it has to rely on transfers to stay alive. Um, So, if you're playing it back and just using it as pure support, it's like, are you getting the most out of it? And you could, you could just have it cast full steam and and upkeep um, Dragon's Blood on something, but that's still like a pretty significant point. Uh, chunk out of your army you're putting there. So I think we will likely see once people get it on the actual table and start playing with it, a lot more of the, I hang out as a centerpiece of my army to buff things, and then mid-game I move up with this Archon and I start using it more offensively. Because offensively, it has some really gross aspects to it. Like spray Ten magical um, on a rat 7 model that can boost, that has assault is no joke. And it can kill things sometimes just out of nowhere from
2: downtown. Yeah, um, the the Impending Doom is definitely an interesting spell on its card. I think this is the first time it's been on uh, a lesser, correct?
3: It's the first time it's been on anything that wasn't Butcher 3.
2: Uh, wow. I, for some reason, I thought it was on something else.
3: Hm. Am um, I wrong? I'm going to look now. Let me look through my database.
2: I don't know. I, I'm probably wrong. I, for some reason, I thought it was on Butcher 3, and I thought there was somebody else that had it.
3: I know there's nope. a lot of Flashing I Blades the, out there. I, I checked the full, the full database. It's only on Butcher 3 and the Blight Archon.
2: Huh, neat. Um, How much playtesting went into that particular spell, given that, you know, with Butcher 3, it's kind of a, all right. if I'm Impending Dooming... It's a weird way to say that. If I'm using Impending Doom, um, (laughs) it's it's kind of an all-or-nothing, right? I'm either going to kill everything I brought in, or because I'm a caster, it's probably going to kill me back and I lose the game. With the Blade Archon, that's not the case, right? You can Impending Doom way more than you could feasibly kill and then die, but it's still five inches forward. Uh, how much testing went into you know that interaction?
3: A ton, especially because you can Impending Doom and Sprint away um, with the Blight Archon, um, which the Butcher can't necessarily do. Um, of the spells on its spell list, so things that have been on it since day one, since the original draft, like first, first pen to paper draft that have never changed were uh, Meltdown, um, Veteran Leader Blighted, and Impending Doom. Uh, the other spells on its spell list did change, and they went through different iterations. But of of all the spells we've tested, impending doom by far the most. Uh, specifically, a lot of it with Rias one, um, and the sort of crazy assassination angles you can pull off with those two working in tandem. Um, it's a very strong ability. It's also one that you can play around. It's one that you kind of can see coming. You can figure out the threat range of where it's going to hit. And I don't think a ton of people will run double Blight Archon. I think you will see it with Raius 1. I think you might see it with a couple of the Liliths, especially if you do the Archangel on the Blight Archon, and then another Blight Archon that uh, plays something lighter that goes forward. Um, But in general, the single one of them in particular is... Impending Doom makes it impactful, and it does mean that when it gets up there, it feels like an Archon is among you. But it... I don't think it's overpowered. At least I definitely haven't seen that in the feedback that we've seen so far.
0: Yeah. Whenever I look at the Blade Archon, like like you just mentioned, I see two of them with like often with the five Fury casters because it mm-hmm. takes off so much pressure from their battle groups and their Fury accol- like their Fury stat. That I think you're going to see that a lot more than with like the six, seven, or eight. You'll see maybe one, maybe zero going forward. Possibly, yeah. I mean. I think you'll I don't think you'll see them
3: in every single list but I think you'll see them a lot I think there's also some really weird interactions that you can get that are kind of fun like uh, absolutely a one using playing God on a War beast in the blight archons um, uh, battle group uh, because it is target friendly living faction war beast not one in her battle group sure that's so that's like good. she can like suddenly you know give the plus one speed in flight to something on the blight archon that uh, now that thing gets sprint. And also, absolutely, you can just transfer to it for free. There's there's going to be some some fun interactions out there. I do think the the strongest builds we'll see with it are ultimately probably going to be the Lilith builds and then the Rias One build. But I think we'll see a lot of them, especially anybody running Childrens or Oracles. It's kind of hard to pass one up.
2: That's for sure. Um, other question: Given that it's Fury Five and there's a bunch of you know actual casters that are Fury Five. Um, I guess, what was the thought process with that? Like from a fluff and both a design standpoint, was that uh, kind of looked at with a little bit of skepticism? Like, ah, uh, why is the Blight Archon Fury 5 when Rias is only Fury 5? And she has an actual like shard of the dragon in her. What, what's going on there?
3: Uh, so that was actually a thematic decision kind of from day one to make it the same Fury as some of those Warlocks in that these were not originally, like the Nists were not creations of Everblight; They were in his words, imperfect creatures that he put a piece of him in into to make them closer to God as it was. Whereas the blight archons are literally things that he's able to mold and create and birth. And so them being fury five, them just coming out the gate, because they don't have shards of him in, in him. They're just manifestations of, of his, his power in a very different way. Um, them coming out of Fury 5 and being the same as one of the NIS warlocks that has a, a, a shard in them uh, was kind of always meant to be. And then we just simply built the stats and the spells and their defensive uh, capabilities around the idea that they would be a Fury 5 lesser. That's cool.
1: Um, I had a couple specific things that I wanted to talk about, either that were addressed in the CID or in other podcasts or whatever. Sure, Yeah. Um, one of them is uh, going back to Bethane 1
2: mm-hmm.
1: with Invocation of Blood. So that was something that was kind of a, a sticking point for a lot of people. It felt kind of clunky. You cast it most turns. Is there is there any possibility of visiting that in some capacity?
3: I will say we're pretty happy with the spell as it exists. Um, we're paying attention. I've seen some people call for it to cost one uh But we're not like really sold on it just yet. So we're really seeing what people want. Because I mean, like, what it lets you do is you're right. When you're melded, it just uh, makes your your defensive stats like where it's really hard to kill kill Bethane. What we want to make sure is that when Bethane is unmelded, there's enough of a good reason to be unmelded, which mm-hmm. the arc node and the lower cost makes sense. And then invocational there just lets you reposition reposition Belphagor. Um could the spell po- possibly get some some tweaks to what it does yes i don't want the spell to go away um i do want the spell to have that dual purpose because it really pl- plays well into bethane one's feel of she does one thing unmelded she does another thing melded uh and i don't really think it should go lower than cost two. but like things that we might consider is uh could the the full advance that belford gets to do not have to be towards bethane could it just g- get to move uh, maybe if it gets the full advance, does it get parry during that full advance? Or is it fine as it is? Um and so we're we're reviewing and considering a few different options.
0: Okay, well, cool. Um, advances? Regarding- did I read that wrong? What's that? Did I read Vinification wrong this whole time or did it change?
3: Oh sorry, I said belfagor moving towards Bethane. I meant Bethane moving towards belfagor I said that backwards.
0: Okay, sorry. Then one one thing for me for regarding Bethane then. Um is there any consideration to removing the uh Belphagor not being able to activate if the meld cistern?
3: Uh, no, we're not really considering doing that. Flesh meld is, I'll be honest, I really don't want to mess with it. It is such a beast of a spell. And I did a lot of reviewing of it before we even got to doing Bethane 1 and realized that it, it is it is constructed so specifically that taking one brick out of that rule and trying to fix it with something else, it just it, it has this real weird domino effect to it. So I would say one of the last things I want to touch on Bethane one is flesh
0: meld. Okay, fair enough. Okay. I just find um, that interaction kind of sloppy.
3: That you can't activate once you jump in? Yeah. I mean it's just something you have to play around. It's it's an order of operations thing. Like it's I don't know what we would say sloppy, it's just, you know, it's very specific. It's very locked in in how you have to do it. Um, but like I said, it's just that is a rule that would take some serious deconstruction to start messing with. And that is not something we tested. And I would say that scope of a change, because right now the China changes we're looking to make at this point, um, and this goes back to me saying, like by the time the CID starts, you're, you're seeing kind of like the next to final versions. We're looking to make small tweaks and adjustments to what exists, not go back and redesign for a couple of reasons. One, testing time. And two, it has a really negative impact on people's uh, kind of enjoyment of the process when we had the CIDs. When we had the CIDs where things didn't swing wildly, people enjoyed them more. And when it was like kind of a roller coaster week one to week two to week three, that definitely creates a lot of like hostility, and we want to stay away from that.
0: Okay, thank you. her again, I interrupted you. I'm sorry.
1: Oh, that's okay. fine. Um, so there's two other things on her card that I think mm-hmm. are interesting, and I want to hear kind of your thoughts on it. Sure. One is decel and why she got it, as opposed to one of the other casters
3: sure sure uh so one thing we're trying to do with bethane one was make her both bethanes are very toolboxy and that just plays into their metamorphosis thing they could do a lot of things now we are we are upgrading the feet on on her in week two uh and i'll talk about that in a second but i see some people say like uh well if i run her to play to the feet i have to run a million magic uh users, but I want to use Decel and Bloodthorn and, you know, these things on more uh, infantry base. And that's the idea is that Bethane has a lot she can do. Bethane 1 and and to a degree Bethane 2. They have a lot of different things they can do. They are utility toolbox casters. They're not like, I'm the melee caster, I'm the range caster, so on and so forth. You cannot, in most cases, play to everything they can do. You have to pick and choose. And that's one of their strengths is that they can build a lot of different lists. A a player can buy Bethane 1 and probably have three pretty unique lists they could run with her. And so stuff like D-Cell going on her uh, is definitely where we wanted it versus some of the other casters that do have a little bit more of a hard line, like, this is what we do, right? Like Krissa, you look at the, the new re- redesigned Krissa. And I think Krissa is a very much like, bring melee infantry, bring uh, beasts that want the extended range from Energizer to probably support in both a ranged and a melee capacity. But like, you're not grabbing Krissa and reaching for Striders, Right. Uh, whereas Bethane, I think with things like Bloodthorn and D-Cell, you could build a Raven's List with Bethane 1 if you wanted to. And if the feat only affected, say, yourself, that would be probably not the best use of it, but like it still does something at the very minimum. Or you can go full magic user boat. And that's where we want her. Um, does that mean that she's not the best at any given one or any given thing? Yes. But it means she could do a lot of different things good, and I think it lets you players a combined arms caster very well.
1: Okay, well, that's cool. You definitely teased with the feet, and that was the next question, so sure, I sure. want to <laughs> definitely hear that.
3: Sure. So we the the idea that you couldn't use it on the thrones resonated with us. Um, that is something we had considered, and so we listened to what people said. Uh, and so in week two, th- we're actually going further than I think just the thrones. Um and this is mainly for oracles. But uh the feat's gonna say while in Bethane's control range, friendly models Ooh. gain boosted magic attack rolls and magic damage rolls. Uh the idea behind that, and not friendly faction, is it'll work on the throne, which I I, I can see where people are coming from and we agree. But also if you're playing Oracles, there are enough magic using minions you could take in Oracles that this will affect as well. Not a ton of them, but there are several that I think will not mind the feet working on. And I think that also just helps open up more of what I'm talking about, of that utility that we want to have built into her. For example, there's just a small example. Um, uh, the uh, Swamp Shambler Boker, like just as, a, as an example, mm-hmm. like, if you take the Swamp Shambler, you have a boosted hand of glory. Is it great? Yeah, it's a thing you can do if you feel like it. There's going to be much stronger choices that you could play of magic using minions. But I think it's it's another option. So we hope that people are going to be happy with that new addition.
1: Yeah, that sounds really cool. That was definitely what I was going to ask um, about Thrones specifically, because I played Thrones extensively. Mm-hmm. And I, I do really look forward to seeing that. Um, on that topic with Thrones, mm-hmm. adding them to children is amazing. I think it's mm-hmm. a great place for them. Have you considered making them a blighted nest model in order to include them in the theme, and then also give Nest the ability to kind of run through them, since they're like big dangly tentacles that don't get in the way of them?
3: We 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 did not want to do that. We also didn't want um, like there's a few different interactions there. We didn't want. We did want them in children definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we we looked at the different things we wanted them to trigger off of, and and honestly, what they were doing as a battle engine, it was just that they they needed to be available to more types of lists and i think it does open up a lot of fun options with them so we were very careful with the throne to be honest uh and but i think just getting it in that second theme is enough for them like i'm pretty happy with where
1: they are okay yeah, yeah. that's something i wanted to make sure i brought up
2: sure yeah checks out um so with i guess my question then with thrones being added to children oracles and children now have Kind of a big overlap in the things they can take, um, obviously oracles get some limited minions, and then children can take you know more of the actual battlely ness rather than just the the magic users um, wh- What do you see as the big like difference between those two themes like th- they share so much overlap like is it just the use of magic that's kind of the defining feature for oracles, or is there really something else there
3: I think the, the so like you kind of said, in children you get the more battley Battleliness, which I think is a major defining feature of, of that. And also what you can do with the, the Nephilim, but oracles I think is the combination of, of being able to, it's, it's one of those minions lists, right? Where you can do all kinds of crazy things with minions if you want to. And I think with the minions all getting blighted keyword and the blight archon existing, and then the corrosion effect from that theme force, and now having more models that play off of corrosion that work in that theme force. That it has a it has distinct builds to it now. And that's the one thing we wanna see out of Theme Forces is that there are distinct viable builds in each of them. Um, obviously they need to have a thematic difference, and sometimes it's it's hardline like Ogrin and Primal Terrors, and sometimes it's a little bit more blurred, like children and oracles. But as long as a children's list and an oracles list look completely different, in which case in most cases they will, that's that's what's most important. And I, I think we did uh, achieve that here.
1: Cool. Yeah, I agree. I, I do like I like some of the thematics there. And I think a lot of people can understand why Oracle's got the changes it did, considering where it is now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, oh, go, uh, go ahead, Ryan.
2: I was just going to ask um, about our other new uh, model we have coming out that works from both of those. I'm going to say this horribly, I know. Isola?
3: Isola, now you nailed it.
2: Killing it, um, she looks super dope. Um, Shatterstorm is huge because RFP has always kind of been a problem in Legion. Mm-hmm. Um, so, as well as um, Toxic Blizzard, I think is her, her, her other spell. That sounds right. Yeah, we we'll go with it. Um, you know, being able to just throw out a couple Aoes of corrosion and um, you know the utility she brings that that's huge. Um, there was a question here somewhere. Hold on, I'll get to it. Uh, Nope, I lost it.
1: I have a question about her. The toxic oh, blizzard. Yeah, is, is that something that is being explored as a post-oblivion element, or is that is that a like a merging that could be applied in some way to other things?
3: So, Isla is interesting. Uh, she's one of the models that the, the version you're all seeing is basically almost exactly the version that was drafted initially. She went through like almost no changes through testing. Um, the toxic blizzard is very much part of her riot quest timeline story. Okay. That th- she is the first blightedness people have seen in the riot quest timeline, because uh, nobody's seen any of Legion. They saw the Meccano shredder, and they were like, "What is that thing?" And then this is the first blightedness that shows up. So Isla shows up, and she has really screwed up, shattered memories over what happened up north, and she doesn't like to talk about it, and she doesn't want to like get. When people try and poke, she gets really aggravated about it. And she has like a really bad attitude, and no, one's, no one who's lived has seen who's under the mask. Like she calls herself Isola, but they don't know who she is. But Boomhauer and some of the other characters, you know, they knew about ice witches from Legion. They had seen them in combat before. So when they first met her, they expected her to be like an ice witch. She's dressed like one. She has the same overall sort of demeanor and, and armament of one. But her magic is like when she, she creates a blizzard, she's making frozen acid and it sticks to people like snow. And then it 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 melts in the heat and then it just dissolves through them. And they're like, oh, that's not, that's bad. And so uh, that just like kind of keeps happening. And she doesn't explain why her ice magic has been basically tainted with toxic waste is the best way to put it. They just sort of accept it and no one has asked me questions. So it is a very character and very storyline specific thing just for her
1: cool
2: I remember my question now um i haven't seen a ton of feedback on her it seems like most people have looked at the rules and just went yep nope she's good like i like this that doesn't seem like it happens very often you know have you been getting uh, a bunch of feedback on her or is that just the general sense you've gotten is just people looked at her and went yep nope this is good like it ship it let's go
3: is that it- that is basically the feedback we've gotten on her. In general, everyone sees her, they're happy. But when, when that happens, it sets off an alarm for me. Uh, when everyone looks at a thing and everyone's like, perfect, ship it. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. No one has a concern. And sometimes you run the risk, and this has happened in previous CIDs, of something is just too good, but nobody really calls it out and then it becomes a problem later. So we still play, pay really close attention, even when everyone's just saying it's it's great, ship it. It's like, all right, let me see the list you're using, where she's showing up, what are people doing with her? Like, what's the idea behind her? Because there have been things that have come out of the CID process in the past that were that had to get nerfed afterwards, I mean, we can look at Iona as an example. We can look at, um, I can't, did Una 2 go through CID? I don't remember. No.
2: Uh I don't actually know. She I just don't came remember. out. Yeah. I think, believe
1: so.
3: I don't think she did. Iona is the one that that kind of sticks out in my head because it was, it was a warlock and it went through so much testing. Uh and then she came out and then she had to get toned down afterwards, right? And so everyone saying something is perfect is not always a good thing. Like it can sometimes be uh an an unintentional misdirection that something's actually too good.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've yeah. definitely seen that before.
2: Yep, that makes sense. Um I mean, I'm biased, but personally I think she's pretty good as is. Um, I just really like the ability to have Shatterstorm on demand. That seems okay. fun.
3: It's really good. I'm very happy with her. Like I currently don't intend to make any changes to her. Like I think that what you see is probably what goes to print. Um, but that doesn't mean there's not a chance for a change. Just we got we gotta stay vigilant for that kind of stuff.
2: Makes sense. Because um, well,
3: no. oh, there's ahead. a there's a Something that happens in CID sometimes, not with everybody, but with some people where they CID to the current meta, which is understandable uh, because that's what they're facing, that's what they're playing against. And design-wise, you don't design to the current meta because if you design to what the current meta is, all you're doing is playing whack-a-mole constantly. You're just, this is the strongest thing, so this thing beats that. Then that's the strongest thing, so this thing beats that. You also don't design for the top 5% competitive because at this point, there's so many models per faction like, if you're going to play in a competitive tournament, you're probably reaching for the the absolute best things you can get. And you have to, under- like, we have to understand that the, the meta itself will rotate. A healthy meta will rotate by itself. Um, and something that wasn't in the top 5% may move to the top 5%. And something we see in CID that, like I said, happens occasionally is people's feedback is very, very flavored by the very current meta of, of what they're facing. Uh, and it's almost like, I see, I'll give you an example right now. Like, um, blighted swordsman one of their new prayers is magic weapon and a couple of people have been like well that that doesn't do anything but let's say that that came out back when ghost fleet was a thing people have been like oh god it's a hard counter to ghost fleet mm-hmm. or some aspects of ghost fleet and it's like it's an option right it's a thing that exists but we want to make sure that the unit is just good by itself and that's why i can like well, let charge now it's why they've all got blade shield now now this unit is sort of sufficient to do its own role and then it's other toolboxy options Will be useful in some matches, but they're not a direct answer to everything in a matchup. And so like Isla getting Shatterstorm, there isn't like a necessarily a huge call for like an RFP right now in the meta. I mean, some people need it, but I wouldn't say like it's the biggest, most important thing. But when she got Shatterstorm, it was like, this is something Legion doesn't really have at all. And so giving this to her opened up some new builds and just created some more breathing room within the faction. And that's Tend, how we tend to try and approach things is just making sure it's it's creating new options and new fun builds.
1: Yeah, yeah. definitely agree. I I really wanted like Vale One or someone to get Shatterstorm for a long time, so definitely happy to see it show up in the faction.
3: For sure,
2: definitely. Um, one question that came up on uh, Discord a little bit earlier um, was that you know the CID has a ton of models in it. It's like I think somebody mathed it out, and it's close to like a third of the faction overall is getting some kind of, you know, touch here, which Mm -hmm. is just huge. Um, But the question came up, well, is there other changes that aren't going through CID for things like uh, the Nephilim Soldier, the Afflictor, things like that, that, you know, maybe don't need a big touch and have been tested and just decided, nope, we're doing this regardless. We know we're going to do it. We just don't want people to get distracted by this thing that we know we're changing and instead focus on these things that still have a lot of wiggle room with where they could end up um is that is that the thing that could happen or is that everything right now is in cid
3: so in general everything right now you see in cid is what is going to change and let me explain what i say in general Um, there are a couple more things in legion i would have liked to have tinkered with a bit Um, little light changes but um, one of the decisions that has to get made is there's, there is only so much testing time and resources. And this CID was already way bigger than I kind of would love for something to be. Like, it, like you said, it's, it's a ton of models, but it, I had to make some hard cuts on these are the models, these are what we're going to change, and this is what we have time to test, knowing that we also have to test Warcaster, Mompok, uh, Riot Quest, and, the, and then other War Machine stuff going on. like You have to sort of look at your overall product scheduling as a company and figure out what can make it and what can't make it. So, and they also see like, will things affect the rest of it? Like afflictors. I know people are down on afflictors, but like afflictors don't mind getting sprint from the blind archon. Are there some things we could do to afflictors? Yes. Did we have time to add them to the testing uh, versus the other models you currently see? No. And we just had to make that, that sort of hard decision. Uh, And so you're not going to see anything not in the CID pop up in a in the same update where all these models get updated. That doesn't mean they won't show up in a later dynamic update that isn't going through CID. That is very possible. But in the September update, and September's when the first of the new models comes out, everything you see in the CID, the final versions gets updated, and it's just going to be this block of models. So don't expect the soldier or the afflictor to happen in that same timeframe, but that doesn't mean it won't potentially happen later. And you may also not see it in a CID. The second part of that is there are potentially cascading effects. Say that we decide to change the Carnivian's chassis, for example. Uh, say that we decided to give it a stat bump. Mm-hmm. Even though the Ravigor and the Scythian aren't in the CID and they're not going to be added to the CID, if we did that to the Carnivian, it would buy uh, just the way it works, it would trickle onto the Scythian and the Ravigor. So, you know, let's say we made them speed six, for example. I'm not saying that's happening. That means not only would the Kernerian become speed six, but Proteus, Scythian, and Rabigor. So sometimes there's secondary effects that happen to other models in that nature that are not directly in the CID.
0: Yeah, I think the most obvious one for me in regards to that is the Storm Raptor. When it gained flying high, I was like, Archangel's getting flying high. 100% chance. Right? (laughs)
2: Yeah, uh, I I argue with you on that one. I think I still owe you a dollar.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, the Archangel, I'm, I'm so happy. Everyone's so happy with that thing right now. Like basically like not only everyone is in general is happy, which I talked about the dangers of that earlier, yeah. but not only is everyone happy, but we're seeing a ton of lists with the Archangel in it and being used in different ways. And it's really showing us that not only is everyone happy, but that it's not, it's going to be fun to play with and it's going to be fun to play against. Like none of the lists and none of the combos and interactions we're seeing people talk about or anything that were outside the scope of what we had anticipated your plan for so like that's a model that like ninety nine percent I can tell you is locked and like what you see is what you're going
1: to get. Yeah, I'm so happy with how that came out. I love the Archangel, and every time I play it, people come over and ask, "What game is this?" So yeah, it's it's amazing just to be able to have that on the table a bit more. It's it's
3: I, I think I said this on another podcast. I think it is legitimately the best model we've made. Like looking at the sculpt, like it just is so impressive.
1: Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, so you talked about the uh, Carnivian chassis. Mm-hmm. There's a this was talked about I think during the last C.I.D. Maybe even earlier than that is a an idea of giving them a rule called hexapod, which basically means they have four or six legs to be able to like move faster when they're running around in some capacity. Is there any chance of, of something like that coming for them? No. Or are you looking more at stat changes?
2: For them,
3: I am, I'm definitely looking more at small stat change tweaks to the chassis. Okay. Um, a, a, a rule on that scope would be something that wouldn't really be within our our testing parameters. We could make room for it. And that's the other thing. Like Sometimes things happen during CID where we're like, OK, we want to make this change, and so now we need to test it. Um, and knowing kind of the direction the week two changes are going, I don't think that would necessarily make it on the priority list as high as just being like, let's give this chassis this stat bump because we know what that means and we can, we can look at the math behind it and we've played enough games with these things with the new point values and their new abilities like grab and smash that we can very quickly understand what speed six or def 12 or arm 19, whichever way it ends up going, uh, would mean. And which way is right for the chassis?
2: Cool. Just out um, of curiosity, uh, go ahead, Cutter.
1: No, go ahead. If yours is related, mine's like a, a segue.
2: I was gonna say, uh, just out of curiosity, what what was the uh, thought of giving the Carnivian grab and smash? Because that's like that's on a bunch of troll heavies, and it wasn't really a thing I expected to see in Legion, especially not on you know the Carny. So just out of you know, like I said, curiosity. What what was the thought process there?
3: Sure. So look at the Carnivian and the Scythian. You have these two melee heavies that approach melee. Like the Carnivian has Assault, but Assault really isn't the selling point on it, right? It's Rat 5. Um, so, like, you're not necessarily getting a ton of work done. I'm sorry. Uh, did I say Rat 5?
0: Uh, Carney's Rat 5. It used to be Rat 4. It changed recently.
3: Yeah, yeah, it changed recently. Sorry. I, did, I literally just dev brained and I was like, wait a second, did I say that wrong? Um, its Assault isn't the big selling point on it. It does have this great spray and you can boost to hit a couple things, but you're not going out with that assault and expecting to hit an absolute ton of infantry reliably at rat 5, right? Maybe boost to hit the important thing. Um, so it's like, okay, you've got the Scythian who clearly likes to go into, uh, get in there with melee with a bunch of different things and hack them up. It's like, what is the Carnivian doing that's unique? It's, it's hitting a little bit uh, harder with the bite, but like we needed to give it something special. And just realizing, opening up the ability for the Carnivian to get there, which is by far, by my opinion, like the biggest and bulkiest and just sort of like most muscly, as astound- strange as that, that sounds in Legion, the most muscly of the, the, those heavies. Mm-hmm. Letting it play to that, letting it play to the more like brute strength, get in there and smash things around, whereas the Scythian runs up and tries to kill multiple different things in its, its melee range. That would create some daylight between the two. And so that's why it ended up with with grab and smash was just to add that little bit of an extra oomph, just that little bit of an extra roll definition to the kind of things this heavy does versus the other heavies.
2: Was there anything you looked at instead of grab and smash to test with it? Or was that just like the first choice
3: out of the game? uh we looked at a variety of chain attacks. We definitely knew we wanted to tie it to the talons, uh, because like when you look at the Ravigord you see the fireball coming out of mouth. When you look at the the end you see the giant sides When you look at the Carnivian, it's sort of this combination of just it's claws and mouth. It's just coming at you and hitting you with everything. So we were looking at different types of interactivity between between those, and ultimately, the Chain Attack Grab and Smash was the one that felt the best and opened up fun plays, um, and it just sort of clicked during play tests uh, the best. So that's the route we went.
1: Yeah, I've played Tormentors quite a bit recently, and... I love grab and smash. It's not the most reliable thing, but you know, it's when it goes off, I just love power attacks. So mm-hmm. the, the opportunity to do more power attacks makes me really happy. If I mean, I mean power attacks
3: are one of the things that's fun about War Machine, right? It's throwing and slamming things. So sure. why not why not let the big beastie do that?
2: If one of my first thoughts was uh, I've been running two of them in my Abbey 1 list that I've been running for like the last two years. And I'm like, man. So you mean this Carnivian can now charge, hit a thing, throw it into something else and I can light burst them both? <laughs> That's great.
3: Another great decision of why I got Grab a Smash is cuz it's the it cuz the open fists versus the Scythian, right? And it was like let's make sure we're actually getting use like let's make this not just an icon on its on its card, let's do something with it. And in Grab a Smash is kind of one of the best examples to get use out of something that has two open fist initials.
1: Yeah, for for the Ravigor, I know it's not in here, but I've felt like the virtues kind of filled a lot of its role. And uh, I was just we about the,
3: the scather specifically?
1: Yeah, like shots in a scather. And then, you know, its melee presence is not very potent. So yeah, it just felt like that its role was kind of like putting a scather down and I had a like a decent shot. And then um I just haven't felt them to be very attractive since um all this new stuff came out because mm-hmm. they're they're also kind of a mixed bag, um, but that was kind of their big thing.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, I would say there's still enough daylight because the Ravagor provides you the boosts on the ranged attacks that you know you can boost uh, not only what you hit and the damage on it, but you can boost things that get caught in the AoE as well. Um, plus also the addition of arcing fire and just being able to shoot into the back line. I mean, having a baseline 19-inch threat that can go in and snipe out a, a key solo or a support piece back there, something that the Virtues definitely can't do. So I do feel there's enough of a separation between Virtues and Ravagor that Virtues don't invalidate the Ravagor's existence.
1: Okay. Yeah, I, I do actually find their Animus pretty interesting with the Blight Archon uh, because of the spray on it. So Yes. There are some there are some fun things going I on. I didn't
2: the, even think of that one, cutter. Whoa. the
3: the blood archon took us so much testing because there are so many weird little interactions and cool things you can do with it and beasts that it sort of just like turns on by being completely separate from the battle group mm-hmm. uh and just freeing up all that that fury management from your main warlock and just being able to use these beasts sort of like the way they were meant to be so i said like afflictors are something that i could see reviewing again in the future they just weren't on the top priority list compared to what you saw. Uh but even then, like uh, just them picking up Sprint with the Blight Archon has been I mean, is it the most competitive thing? Is it gonna go win WTC? No. Uh is it fun? And is it does it work? Absolutely. I mean even if one afflictor manages to make two incubi and still sprints away to safety, like it's worth points.
1: Yeah, sprint is definitely something that helps that model out a ton. Yeah. For uh, going, like, kind of sticking with beasts, and I I admit I'm definitely one of the beast heavy type people. Um, Mm -hmm. The Angelius is what it's one of the things that brought me to Legion originally. And um, I just wanted to hear your thoughts on how the testing is going with that right now.
3: It's been very illuminating. Um, We have been paying close attention to what everyone has said, and it has generated some internal review. Uh, we're going to see a pretty interesting change to the Angelius in week two um, that we are still in the process of doing our final review on, but it's basically locked in. So I'll go ahead and tell y'all. This will be your your fun week two spoiler. I'm excited. Sweet. Uh, Let me actually pull my notes up here so I don't say anything wrong. (laughs) Because dev brain. (laughs) Okay. So one thing we definitely want it to do is... We wanted to get both melee attacks on the turn it charges. Obviously, you're uh, special attacking with the armor-piercing tail, so you're not getting the bite. Uh, and also, we wanted a little bit more res- versatility on the potential threat range of the tail and also how you use the armor-piercing attack. Mm-hmm. So we've done two, two changes. Um, we took or sorry, three changes. Uh, armor-piercing on the tail is now no longer a star attack it just has armor piercing on the tail. However, uh, it has single shot. So after an attack with this weapon is resolved, this model cannot make another attack with it for one round. What that lets you do with the next rule, and the the third rule put it all together, but just alone what that lets you do is you can armor pierce on a free strike if you want to.
1: Ooh, Um, that's sexy.
3: You can't use it in the following turn if you do that uh, because it's for one round, but you could make the decision to use it as a free strike if, for example, it didn't get to alpha and something came into it and then won't try to go past it. But obviously the tail is range two and the bite is range one. So we took overtake off and we gave it sidestep. Nice. So now wow. you can charge in with the bite, move two inches and then hit the tail and get the armor pierce to push it a little further than it was. Or if you charge in with the tail and hit with that first to get the charge damage like you normally would when you were using it any other time you'd used it, uh, you could still then sidestep up and then get the bite attack as your second initial and you don't lose that. That's the changes we're making in the Angelius. And so far they're feeling really good and they add a lot of versatility to its play and open up some player agency and how you use that tail that we're liking uh, the way it's sort of playing out on the table.
1: Yeah, I like that a lot. Because it's I mean, one of the things that I always liked about the Angelius was its versatility. And, you know, the the Hermit meta has definitely diminished some of its value a little bit. But being able to position the repulsion better too is really cool. Uh when you're kind of sidestepping around something and then pushing it somewhere else. I like yes. that a lot.
3: Yeah, I, I think I I think, yeah, the the changes I think they will be taken pretty positively overall. Um and so far. From what we're we're looking at internally it doesn't seem to push it too far i don't think it's point value needs to go back up i think it's pretty fair at 15 points for what it does but we'll see what everyone thinks
0: yeah this definitely yeah. differentiates it from the narrative i think enough that the 15 points make sense agreed and that was one of the hard things right Is like why would i just take a narrative over this thing every time
3: and i i think we've created that 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 daylight that we're always looking for to make sure everything's got its own role uh so Hopefully in a perfect world, this is the final iteration of it before it gets updated.
0: Yeah. Is there any like uh any other cause we've touched on quite a few models at this point, but is there any like legacy model that uh that has been in testing that you haven't or you have seen like something interesting happen with or you're not really satisfied with the where it is? Is there something that you're focused on?
3: My top focus this week has been Bethane Two's feet by far. Um, but I've been looking at, at everything, um, in the beginning we were, I was not seeing it nearly enough tariffs. Um, and I haven't seen almost no Nephilim protectors, but they're getting safeguarded. And I think that'll fix that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um there wasn't enough tariffs in the beginning, but then there started to be like people started being like, Oh man, a blood archon with a single tariff and a callous two list, or, you know, just callous two with a tariff on it and, and stuff like that, or Lilith two with, two to four tariffs. Um, and we started seeing the kind of interactions and testing that we had been doing internally. So I was getting a little worried there. And then the one that is really interesting to me is the discussions about Feralor, mm-hmm. Uh And that some people thinking, they feel that he's not worth his five points. And is definitely not the conclusion we came to in our internal reviews and testing. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to be paying a lot of attention to what people are thinking about Feralor. I'm very happy that overall everyone seems to enjoy the changes to Legionnaires and are like, I will run double Legionnaires or even a single unit, especially with casters like Krissa, but there's a lot of people being like, I don't even work with a requisition point, and it's like that's potentially a little bit of hyperbole because even Feralor by himself, uh, not not considering all the other things that he gives like the the mini feed. just just Fairlore by himself is a pretty solid addition to the unit with the weapon master and cleave attack and now getting battle driven and having vengeance and all the other things. So we'll see. He, he's one that's definitely on my mind.
1: Okay, that's good to hear. That was something I was gonna ask about because it's I have seen that being talked about a lot, um, as well as the role of hex hunters and what you know what they kind of do. Uh, hex, because I haven't hex, seen a lot of them, other than messing people messing around with Bethane's feet.
3: Hex hunters are very hard to work with mm-hmm. uh, without a complete redesign, which they they are not receiving. Um, and even then, it would like their theme is so hard line baked in. The problem is, and I, I talked about this on another podcast, is they're the only ten man magic using unit in the game. Mm-hmm. That's they're fa two. So you can run 20 of them. So any spell or any ability they get requires so much testing to make sure they don't get broken. Uh, And I'll just repeat this from the other other podcast. There is a version of Bethany 1's feet that got nixed because of Hex Hunters. And in an earlier version before I went to CID, they picked up Frostbite from Bale. They were able to cast his spray, and it was too much. Like, they couldn't get things like Apparition, things like the spray... Because you could just spam the board with them, and then there are ways to deliver them with the the stealth, or even when they had prowl, they're very dangerous. Um, the version of Bethany One's feat that existed pre C I D was that it was the boosted ma- magic attack and damage rolls, and that uh, warrior models with magic ability could channel through war beasts in their command range. Oh my so god! So you could shunt the spells forward, and as crazy as that sounds on paper, it wasn't bad until. The stress testing on the hex hunters and they were the ones who shut it down um so i understand where people are coming from i definitely think the unit does something i think a lot of people are worried about their flat threat range of you know effectively 12 inches on the hex bolt a lot of that has to do with the the extreme threat range meta we're in at the moment but i don't think the unit's in necessarily a bad place i think stealth helps them deliver themselves a lot easier in a in a wide variety of matchups and i'm pretty happy with that but Sweeping changes to that unit are probably outside the scope of the CID just because I don't know that I would be confident in making big changes and them having enough time to be tested and printed without possibly breaking something. Because the last thing I want to do is buff something, and they have to go back and nerf it a month later because it, it you know, turned out to be too OP.
1: Yeah, something I was going to ask about is uh, bail. Have mm-hmm. you looked at like separating him from the unit, making him like mastermind hex hunters? If if that's too powerful or something along those lines, because I've never played or been compelled to play two unit two units of hex hunters.
3: Uh, no, this doesn't what we like to do. It's something that we try and avoid generally. Uh, a lot of that there's a lot of different reasons for changing a. Uh, a, a unit type from command attachment to say solo or or something like that or a, a massive swing and a lot of that has to do with not only how it's packaged and what it already says in all the blisters out in the wild mm-hmm. uh, but you know the perceived information about them we want to usually keep their their overall type the same and then work within that
1: okay um, on a related note the yep. black Frost shard so they got some really cool stuff Combat Caster is, Mm -hmm. I absolutely love it because I was playing Malady Men and I never knew how much I was missing until I got to do Combat Caster. So it it solves one of their biggest problems by far. And I was wondering how you, have you seen them a lot uh, in the playtests where you kind of are with them?
3: We saw them a lot. Uh, So that all started with this unit's pretty good, but it needs a way to deliver itself. And also yeah. for an elite three-man unit of magic users, they don't use enough magic.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: So Combat Caster was what kind of popped up first. It was like, if they could stealth and run, that would be great. And it's like, okay, we could either just give them stealth, but we were doing that in other places and it kind of felt like going back to the well too many times. So it's like, you know, what if they could cast the spell, they've already got it, and then run. It's like, oh, well, yeah, if you did that, then they could cast all the other spells and leave them with Battle Wizard. And now you have potentially six spells a turn out of a three-man unit with a decent magic ability. That feels good. So we tested them and tried them out in a variety of different lists, and we're pretty happy with them. The one thing that I'm looking at changing, uh, and this is because of CID feedback, is um, Disbinding.
1: Yes. (laughs)
3: Uh, So Disbinding has definitely proven to be something that is, everyone is kind of like, I have actually no use for this spell. Uh, And people providing their reasoning behind it, when it's come up for them, when it hasn't come up for them, has been a lot of good data points to read and that's what we're always looking for is those those data points to check out. Mm-hmm. Uh so that spell is going to get changed in week 2 into something more useful.
1: Cool. That's that's amazing. That was the only thing that I really wanted to ask about with them. Sure. Uh, so yeah, I think I think what you come up with there will be will be really exciting. Not, Not- zephyr. Not- yeah. <laughs> that's
2: fair. That's fair. Oh but, uh, man, that one out specifically,
3: huh? Yeah, I it's just too much. It's too much for that unit. I just don't want them to zephyr kiss charge zephyr kiss. It's no thank you.
2: But that sounds so fun. Come on.
3: No, no, it's it's a bit much for 9 points in my opinion. That's on so the okay. high magic
1: ability weapon master battle wizard unit. I really love that unit. I'm excited to play them more.
2: I'm not seeing a problem with any of this, but what do I know?
3: <laughs> also they could ze- oh. they could zephyr charge stealth zephyr afterwards no I don't, no no thank you oh and then they could get tax supremacy put on them by like Krissa. Mm-hmm. nah i'm all right That's, all of this seems
2: fine come on man
3: just yeah. nine inches of movement outside of normal charge it's Ooh. fine
2: Kellos does it with overrun all the time it's not a problem <laughs> yeah. yeah
1: it's pretty sippy. Um, it's pretty zippy
2: um actually it's something i just thought of if you don't mind going back to the angel for a minute sure um if it if it picks up single shot, and it uses that say uh, turn two, and then something runs past it, it can't free strike, can it? It can yeah, free strike with the bite like, because uh, they're still in melee with the tail, though, even though they can't use the tail.
3: Correct. Yeah, that is that is the trade off. Is yeah. that you can your your free strike range is now the one inch bite if you use the tail, but that's why it has sidestep instead of overtake. Is so that you can off of two initials and at least if the tail hits, especially. You can at least position yourself. So the only way that you're looking at hitting with the tail and then not being able to free strike is if you hit with the tail, don't sidestep up and stay outside of one inch. In that situation, yes, you, you, you put yourself in a spot where you cannot free strike again.
2: So I guess I'm thinking of it more in terms of uh, like with the Blight Archon. Mm-hmm. So it single shots with the tail and then use a sprint to back up. If something mm-hmm. wants to run by it to, or charge something else past it, mm-hmm. it, can't actually free strike because they're still in me- melee with the tail at two inches, even though it can't attack with it, and then it would be out of range of the bite. Correct.
3: Uh, but you would still be able to uh, engage it in terms of preventing things from shooting because you'd still be in the two-inch melee range.
2: Okay. I just wanted but to you- make sure that was how that worked while I was thinking about it.
3: Yep, that is that is how it works. Uh, is something we definitely considered, and that's why it picked up. Like sidestep was a big part of this entire package. Mm-hmm. Um, if it proves to be too fiddly, we will consider making some other alterations. Uh, but we're we're pretty okay with it, and we'll see what
1: everybody thinks. Obviously, cool, awesome. Um, and so Anissa, I've heard her <laughs> talked about, and I know that you said at one point that you were considering adding a sword to her, which is super exciting.
3: Yes, we are. Uh, I mean, this was one that was a, a dur moment for us. Uh, we had adjusted the points and everything. And uh, it had been so long that Anissa had been there that it just literally didn't occur to, to me that she'd never had a sword, right? She had gunfighter. She had the bow. Like I was looking more like her package and where her point value should fall. I and mean, somebody was just like, but she has a sword on her model and she's had that sword on her model forever and just never had the sword. And I'm like, you're right. She does have a sword on her model. Why doesn't she have a sword? So now she has a sword. And in doing that, we really looked at what does that mean now? Like she picks up a NIS Claymore, just like the Raptors have, she has weapon master. Uh, And now she can not just run around and shoot things with poison, but she can like charge into her prey target, make impact attacks with prey and then hit the hell out of it. With a weapon master attack if she needs to, so I think it opened up even more avenues. It opened up more like gameplay lines that you could potentially do with her, and as a a, a versatile unit, somebody who's making both melee and range attacks, that's the kind of things we want to see them do is have choices turn to turn. So it helps.
1: Yeah, for sure. I still, even with all of that, I'm not sure that I feel comfortable spending seven points on her if i'm looking at like lord of the feast is like 6 points right and um some of the the power like the combat power of like the archons and things like that she she's a character i really really like and i love mm. how slippery she can be um but she is very fragile and i was wondering if um how you're feeling about her current power level
3: feel pretty good about it to be honest I mean because like you said Lord of the Feast 6 Archons at like 8 or higher she's speed 9, 15 15, damage boxes with stealth and repo Mm 5 like she's pretty survivable and then just you know against her prey target she's rocking nat 8, rat 9 now Um, I think her going to 7 I think her 8 was definitely too expensive it is a hard sell for her to get down to 6 I mean, we can, we can look at stuff like, you know, like you mentioned the, uh, the lore of the feast, but at the same time I can look at like the totem hunter who is a six and is she the same points as a totem hunter? I don't think so. I think she's one point more, to be honest, just based on the, the safety from which she can shoot things that she needs to and the hitting power she can get in against her prey target when the time comes and just how zippy she is. Zippy's going to be the, the word of this podcast, by the way. <laughs>
1: zippy, yeah, she's Zippy. All right. All right, yeah, I'm fine with her being expensive. Um, I just, I want to I want to feel like her impact is also expensive uh, or valuable, and mm-hmm. the, the number of shield guards that we see now is, I, I don't want to say egregious, but I'm going to say egregious. There's a lot, there's a well, lot.
3: Hopefully giving her the Weapon Master Sword does give you just another option in case you run across somebody you can't shoot. Now you have another thing you can do with her. So if you take her now and you run into hard counter anti-shooting, you probably had fuel bags. You're like, Annie doesn't do anything. But now, at worst, she's a speed 9 cav model with Weapon Master, Prey, Repo 5, and Stealth. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's pretty legit.
1: Yeah, she's a super fun model. Um, I just wanted to check where you were with her.
2: Yeah.
1: I have a couple more models that I want to pick up uh, specifically. and then. I I'm done with my list. If you want to go around, go for
2: it. I was going to say, don't, don't move on without me. Um, just out of curiosity, uh, since her vet leader is Raptors, which is fluffy mm-hmm. and works out, but the Blight Archon has uh, just straight Blighted. Was there a thought to changing her vet leader to, I guess, a more general leadership? Um, uh, and-
3: no. Uh, it, we, I mean, we know that Double Blighted doesn't stack, and it's okay for it to exist on different models, specifically because the Blight Archon being an expensive package, again, it not costing just eight points, um, I'm, I'm okay with if you want to go more just like, if you want to run double Raptors, if that's the list you want to build, you're probably reaching for Annie over the trying to also then build in the Blight Archon package. Uh, so I like it existing there just as an option. Um, I don't think it necessarily has the change. The, the overlap is not a bad thing in my opinion.
2: Right. Um, I guess I was thinking of in, maybe swapping it for uh, uh, like something that affects all ness instead of just raptors. So like leadershipness, bloodthirst, for example, because that's I think I am gasped before. Um, was something like that ever a consideration, or just just completely happy where she's at?
3: Uh, leadershipness, bloodthirst is absolutely never a consideration. <laughs> Fair enough. Like uh, I said,
2: first thing you said.
3: So yeah, that that will. I can't say never, but I'm gonna. <laughs> That will never happen. Yeah, Uh, But no, I, we, we, I didn't like, even if she got a leadership, let's say that happened in my opinion, she's the, 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 the leader of the Raptors. I mean, so it would still be Raptor focused, but I think also, I think having her have a veteran leader Raptors is good because the Raptors don't necessarily want to hang around the same area. The blight Archon might be. I mean, I think that they can go far further than the Blight Archon typically wants to play and can like harass the flanks, go just chill in a zone by themselves and just sort of dance around the edges and, and be a threat. So I, I like her giving that ability to them in that capacity.
1: Yeah, when I've played her, I've I've often found that she ends up somewhere not near the Raptors, but that might just be because I run my cavalry all over the table. Sure. Oh man,
3: bloodthirst is go gas before.
2: <laughs> like I said, it was just first thing, top of the head, because I was staring at his card. So no,
3: it was just it, I, I, no, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not blaming you. It was just think like, when you said bloodthirst miss, I was like, I it, the idea popped in my head for a second. Like I actually just like considered it for a moment, and I was like, my god, like can you imagine what that would do to Legion if they had okay, bloodthirst Niss on tap?
2: It would be amazing. Come on, Hungerford, we could make it happen. <laughs>
3: Uh, no, thank you. No, I mean th- the threat range game is something we definitely have to take in consideration with everything new. Like we, it's it's very strong as it already is in a lot of things. And even when Oblivion happened, we toned down a lot of the theme forces because there were so many themes that were just like top of one. I'm halfway across the the middle of the table and outside of your threat range, and you're in mine, and that was not super fun. So threat ranges are always like they're one of the most impactful things you can do, but Again, as the range grows and grows and grows, and you can stack them, it becomes less and less likely we can add them. So we have to be very careful. Like you know, Boomhauer three having hoof it and then giving uh, bloodthirst to certain things was like a very tough decision. Then we had to yeah. really, really consider what that impacted. And honestly, you know, he currently gives it to friendly war beasts. And uh, that works with Arcadius when you play him as a minion. And that may end up seeing that rule change to, say, yeah. friendly Trollblood Warbeasts, so that that ability just is a, a blank in uh, in minions. It depends, because there's so many factors you have to consider.
1: Yeah, the Arcadius part definitely seems troublesome.
3: <laughs> yeah, good old Arcadius. He was in the Vengeance of Dunia theme force for, like, a week, and then we're like, nope.
1: <laughs> for... <laughs> Uh talking about beasts, um Asriel mm-hmm. and the my desire for Azriel to have a solid backhand. <laughs> I, <keep laughs> having, saying this. I I just want I just so want Asriel to just smack someone. Like is is there any do you have any thoughts on the possibility yes. of that hand doing something?
2: And, and I if do. so, call it backhand and just give it straight smite? Because that's oh, sounds God.
3: Interesting. uh I, I do have I do have thoughts on it, and the chances of him getting the, the fist attack are very very low. Um, we wanted to make sure that the package he had, because the package he had, let's just take his point cost away, pretend it doesn't exist. Azrael does things, and when you look at Azrael's card, the first thing you look at is not his melee attack; you look at his thrown spear, because mm-hmm. thrown spear is terrifying, and that's what he does. Um, so, adding an extra like layer of like melee capability isn't really the direction I want to go with Azrael. I want to make sure that the points you pay for him feel right given his impact on the table. That's different than Zuriel, where looking at Zuriel, it became clear, especially in the CID, that he wasn't quite hitting the mark in terms of being the impactful ninja Nephilim he could be, and really even playing to his kit of being able to like punch and dragon breath in the same turn. So there are adjustments coming in week two that y'all will get to see on Monday to Zuriel that are going to shake up his game plan and let him play more to that fly in the middle of everybody, be swinging swords and breathing fire, uh, you know, all over the place at the same time, because like quick work and then the melee range and what he goes into doesn't necessarily function the way it doesn't function as, as well as it could to help realize that model's potential.
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, that's, that's exciting to hear that. Cause I, I want to love Zuriel and Zuriel has not, you know, it's been an unrequited love. <laughs> well, hopefully we fix that.
2: Just, <laughs> out awesome. of curi- just out of curiosity, um, is there a thought to changing Zuriel's animus for all of this? Because yeah. Dodge being on a Harrier and him seems weird to me.
3: Um, it is the, it is, so the last place I would want to go with Zuriel is a, stri- a flat uh, stat bump. The next to last place I want to go with him is his animus. Um, oh, okay. I think there are a lot of interesting things we can do with the rest of his kit to make him more interesting and i think it is okay to have multiple instances of an animus in a faction in case you don't want to be taking the harrier and if you're going to pay the points for him i think it's a fine animus um but i think there's ways to make him more interesting that are separate from that and changing animi is a lot more work than that i think might be originally considered because when we change an animus um, we have to run it through every warlock, uh, and because we know what elusive does, that helps the testing time. But you know, if we changed it to anything that Legion doesn't already have, um, that requires a a lot of consideration to make sure we don't
1: accidentally break something. That's fair.
0: All right, are we kind um, of done with CID Cutter, or you got in, want anything else you want to talk about?
1: The last thing that I wanted to ask is the kind of a, a segue into broader strokes. Are we going to see some story updates coming?
3: henchhold Scrolls is going to come back. Um, but the idea was Lock and Load was going to be the, the big narrative finale of the, the Battle of Hengehold. Uh But obviously Lock and Load didn't happen this year. So a lot of that got moved into Summer Rampage. And then we're taking Summer Rampage results just until, because we know not and those can be done at people's houses, they can be done online, they can be done if people are safe to meet. Like, so we're not putting any sort of requirement on those, it doesn't have the time constriction of like a CID. So we're just going to take those until and then once we feel like everyone has been able to safely participate in those, um, those results go into what happens in the lore next.
2: Cool, dig it. Um, just out of curiosity, I don't know if you would know this, but what happened with uh, Saren when she went through the portal, she's just like. Can you spoil anything about that? Is there a uh, the future?
3: I do know, and I can't tell you.
2: Could you tell me what it definitely isn't?
3: I can't tell you anything about it. Wow. Sorry. That's, that's not one I can, uh, I can even hint at.
2: Fair
0: enough. Yeah. I think is allowed to discuss rules, not story.
3: Discuss story. I mean, like, but there's certain things I can't, like, give away. I think storyline also, the IKRPG 5e announcement for people that want storyline that whole RPG setting, and it takes place after Oblivion, and it's going to be packed full of information of what the Iron Kingdoms look like after, uh, you know, the the Battle of Henshold and the main Infernal Invasion ended. And so there's a ton of stuff going to be written for that.
2: Of course, Shiver's Paladin is going to be on the cover. What's that? I said, of course, Shiver's Paladin is going to show up prominently on the cover, right?
3: No, we already showed the cover with... Uh, the giant dead, like, infernal crab claw sitting behind the buildings and, like, the skyship in the distance and uh, uh, Dan and Blythe and Bull mm-hmm. looking all heroic.
2: Okay, but Shivers Paladin is going to be in the book. <laughs> uh, maybe, now,
3: we'll I mean, do, maybe we'll do a collector's edition that's, like, a hardcover with uh, just Shivers on the front just screaming, like, directly at you.
1: Whenever you open it.
3: Oh, like, like a pop-up book that plays music, yes.
1: Yeah, like, um, I don't know if you, if anyone backed uh, Exploding Kittens, but when you, the little box that they gave you for being a backer, whenever you open it, it meows at you.
3: We can absolutely do that where you open your RPG and it's just a nonstop scream coming out of Shivers.
2: we it. We've got, yep. we're, we're done. Well, that's yep. horrible.
3: <laughs> I'll, I'll run it by Matt and get shot down immediately, but I will, I will do my due diligence.
2: I believe in you, Will. I believe in you. <laughs>
0: All right, let's let's move on from CID. Mostly, um, I solicited a few questions from the Legion channel. If you're willing to field those, Hungerbird.
3: If I can't, I'll just say I can't comment.
0: All right, fair enough. Um, so what we got? We got uh, Avery asking. I'd love if you asked what faction slash theme that you think Legion is going to be the strongest into after the CID, and potentially its weaknesses. Where's what... Legion going to shake out? Do you think
3: that is the hardest thing to crystal ball for us? Uh, because the players drive the meta so strong. I think that Legion has gotten a lot of new tools uh, to deal with single-wound infantry. I think the Blight Archon shakes up so much in Legion uh, that there are a ton of Warlocks that we're not seeing a lot of play that are suddenly going to start reappearing. So knowing what they're going to get strong into and what they'll be weak into is very hard to predict. I think they will just have more game into some things that were incredibly hard matchups for them in the past and hopefully they will get to start af- asking some new questions that will require other players to review their lists and determine what changes they might want to alter to, to address those like, you know, what do I do against you know, the Lilith lists with the Blight Archon or what do I do against the Rias 1 double Blight Archon assassination list like, what is my answer to that? So, that's that's my hope coming out of it.
0: Okay, thank you. Um, got a question from Freya. Are there any models that people in CID seem to generally regard as underpowered that aren't being utilized in lists the way that internal testing assumed they would?
3: Uh, Fairlore would be the, the top of that list. And then I would say pr- the week one answer to that would have been the Nephilim Protector, but I think that that gets addressed in week two. So uh, Fairlore is not receiving changes going into week two because I definitely want more information there. So he is the
0: the top of my I I am surprised by the feedback so far. Okay, great. Uh we got one from Edmund Strangeways. I think I think we have two here. Uh do you have any this is more of a meta question regarding the tournament scene. Um do you have any plans to nudge the tournament scene when it returns towards a different direction? He says like Warfare Weekend kind of covers the 75 point Super Bowl NCAA tournament of War Machine is there anything thought of pushing lock and load towards maybe 50 points or some sort of separate qualifier at that level?
3: It's interesting. Um, I would love for people to play more 50 point games. Uh, I think 50 point games are a blast. I think 25 point games can be a blast. Um, My, my personal, me and my friends are going to play war machine. Preferred way to play war machine is 50 points. Hands down. Uh, We can get a game in in a reasonable amount of time. And I also think, that it was so refreshing to actually have to make harder choices with my list building, um, versus the 75 and the three rec points. Now, will that get thrust upon, Will will my personal bias, you know, get, get thrust upon everyone. It has to be something the community wants and that it's something the community will buy into, because if we go out there and say all of masters is 50 points, though, there'd be riots. I mean, I started a thread about what do people think about 50 point, you know, uh, masters I, like over a year ago in Facebook, this was more of just a question. Like, what do people think? Like, what are your thoughts on it? I think it had over a thousand comments on it.
1: Yeah. I'm uh, pretty sure the world ended and we had to restart it.
3: It, it, the reaction was very mixed and passionate on both sides. Um, I would love to be able to have an equally supported And equally enticing to the player base 75-point and 50-point format. Um, And I hope we get there. But at the same time, just because I want something doesn't mean it's the right thing to do, and I have to make sure that there's enough people that if we started doing this, we wouldn't go to, say, uh, Gen Con, and let's say Masters was 75 and Champions was 50. And say Champions didn't have ADR anymore. Just Champions was 50, Masters was 75. They had... Three scenarios shared between them, and then Masters had three unique scenarios that were built for 75, and, and Champions had three unique scenarios built for 50. Okay, let's say, let's say that happened. The What we've seen happen in the past when we deviate from 75-point Steamroller is like Masters might have, you know, let's say 100 people in it, and then the Champions might have, let's say, 30 to 40. We want to see it be equal across both, uh, and we got to make sure that those, that, that can happen. So... It's an interesting puzzle, but it's one I hope we can get solved. Right. I think the game's way more approachable, too, for new players at lower than 75. I think somebody coming in the game now has so much they have to learn, uh, so much to just even get up to speed, and they're not even getting up to speed at a lower level to try and really digest the models. They've got to like, get up to speed at the highest level immediately because that's what uh, so many people play at the store level and there just needs to be an equally respected lower point level that, that people can jump into.
0: Yeah. I think that's reasonable. Um, I know just even, I still look at 75 points and like, I've been playing for a while and I'm still kind of daunted. Like, give me something smaller to play. I I feel like I like with, with you, if my friends were like, let's play 50 to get a game in, I think I'd be okay with that.
3: It, you know, when we play test, we do 50 and 75 kind of depends on how much time we've got. Um, it's a super fun way to play the game. I just, I recommend more people try it out, and I and I do think having some a few more tailored scenarios will help it. Because uh, one complaint that I do think has some validity is that some of the steamroller scenarios are definitely um, can be difficult for certain factions to spread out and meaningfully interact with at fifty. I think that that sentiment does get a little bit blown out of proportions, but there is some validity there. So I think there's stuff we can do on our end. As long as there's, you know, buy-in from and, and, and desire from the player base to see such a thing happen.
0: Yeah, I don't know if you discussed this on Line of Sight, but they came out with the twenty-five point brawl machine. Do you have any thoughts on that?
3: I think it's great. Uh, you know, I love seeing community-driven stuff. You know, Warfare Weekend totally community-driven, and then stuff like this Brawl Machine twenty-five points, excellent. I mean, being able to collect little me- micro forces is first fun. If you're you know a Legion player and all you buy is Legion. And then something comes up that gets some traction and you're like, oh, I could buy 25 points of Protectorate and have fun with that. Yeah, that's great. That lets you like enjoy more of the, the hobby and the community. But at the same time, it's such a good entry point for new players. So the more kind of stuff that exists that, that people engage with, the better in my opinion. I do think all 75 point, all Steamroller, all the time, nothing else is just like the path to burnout. Like you have to mix it up and do something a little bit different every now and then.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with you completely on that. I like having a variety of formats to play, and I'm going to spend some time looking at brawl machine going forward. I think that's really yeah. kind of my alley.
3: Yeah, I I hope that people enjoy it.
0: All right, um, do you either of you have any questions for Hungerford? We're kind of nearing the two hour mark on this one.
1: Yeah, I know. I I feel like it's been a really great discussion. Is there anything that you would that you want to say that we didn't bring up or uh, anything like that as like a closing note?
3: I would say. Uh, as a closing note, hey everybody! There's a Kickstarter going on right now. Don't ask forget that, that the Riot Quest Wintertime Wasteland Kickstarter is live currently until next Thursday. So make sure you go check it out and pledge and support Riot Quest to help make it the best game it possibly can be.
0: Okay, I think they aside, just posted an update for that saying that the the mats are right. The mat stretch goal has been reached, so that's exciting.
3: Yeah, yeah, dude. Like, I know where this is a War Machine podcast, but no, please I, go, go ahead. I am so happy with how right, like our right community on Facebook has over 1400 people on it. Everyone is having a blast. You know, we see people playing with their families and kids uh, and like the Kickstarter funded in an hour, just making sure everyone knows it's out there and to check it out because it is such a fun, if you're hardcore competitive and you want to be able to control every aspect and you hate RNG, right? is not your game. <laughs> if you want something fun that you can play with any like type of gamer, whether they like the more crunchy stuff or they just want something fast and, and, and easy. Like it's a, it's a very welcoming and inviting game and stuff like that that gets more people. Like I'm very happy right now that the, the company has a diversity of games because it gets more people into the community. And then suddenly like the War Machine player looks at Monpok or the Monpok player thinks about picking a War Machine or maybe like somebody, two friends that meet through Monpok and Warcaster start playing the IKRPG. Like I'm always a very community driven person and being able to reach more aspects of the gaming community as a whole is really important to me. So that's, that's, that's cool, and I'm happy that's going on. So just giving everyone, the, uh, I guess, my last-minute my last plug to go check out the, the Riot Quest Kickstarter. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, out of I'll-
2: curiosity, if you're a hardcore like War Machine player only, and there are only certain models from Riot Quest you can get, is there a way to get them through the Kickstarter?
3: You could do the $10 spectator pledge and when the pledge manager opens, you can buy any of the add-on heroes that are not in the starter box. The five in the starter box are not sold separately, but all the other 11 heroes, like you wanted to pick up um, Bumbles, for example, you could do a $10 pledge and then do a Bumbles add-on. So that is absolutely an option you have.
2: I might get Bumbles just because Bear. I like that.
3: Yeah, he he won the, the hero poll online pretty handily no Did you
2: expect
3: no absolutely not No. when when marketing <laughs> said they were going to do that the first words out of my mouth were all right bumbles wins but let's let's do it yeah.
0: i like it if for my perspective just regarding riot quest like i haven't even put the game on the table but i've just been having so much fun painting those damn models that like i completely backed the kickstarter like, i was like i i need more of these they're just awesome little miniatures I that's one as as
3: as you know, I, I paint my own models and painting an army sometimes I need a break. Like when I'm painting something in the same color scheme over and over and over again in the same look, I need to mix things up. And games like Riot Quest where you can change things up and be like, you know, my bumbles and my shivers and my Isola are going to look completely different. They're gonna to have totally different color palettes. I think as a hobbyist it's really rewarding. And it lets you just just try something weird. If you've like, I've never weathered before. I'm going to use Google Godor. It's my first time I tried to do weathered armor. And if you do it great or you mess it up, it's fine. It's a model. You know, right? It's not going to like throw off the look of your entire Riot Quest crew. So it's, there's a lot of creative opportunity with the game.
2: Nice. Um, going on from Riot Quest to uh, Warcaster real quick. Yeah. Um, I remember hearing that uh, the initial release wave shipped recently. Is that accurate?
3: Uh, I believe it is either has shipped or is shipping now i haven't been in the warehouse to check but i know that the production crew bust their butts and that they turned it around and got like they, they when i want to around i mean like we that was a really fast delivery time for a kickstarter and they managed to make that delivery time happen so as far as i'm aware everything is going out either right now or like basically very soon um and so yeah, i'm just really proud of them because that's like so many models they had to like cast and pack. Because it's all done in house. Like nothing came from like none of the miniatures were were like from elsewhere. So all the metal casting, the mold making, cleaning, quality assurance, packing, shipping—it's all being done right now. So yeah, it's awesome.
2: That's that's super dope. I saw Warcaster originally and kept thinking I'll get in on uh, Marcher Worlds, and then I held off. I held off. And then the Empyrean stuff dropped at uh, the keynote. And I was like, oh, oh, all right, take my money. I'm in. This looks yeah. so
3: cool. They're so weird looking. They're like, this is the one the weirdest take on aliens. There's like robot bugs. Okay, sure. I'm in.
2: I was like, all right, everything else looks kind of humanish. Like you could see the design element where it's like, yeah, I could see a person building this because it looks like them. And then you just see like the little snake warcaster thing, and like, okay, I don't know what made this, but I want to see that thing because it definitely made this in its image, and that's terrifying. Yeah,
3: yeah. I, I'm excited to see more, because I I help do, like, assistant development with Warcaster, just like I do on Mompok, but, like, Oz runs Mompok, and Souls runs Warcaster. And so, um, much like when, like, I turn to Oz, and I'm like, I got Bumbles approved, and he's like, what's a Bumbles? And then I tell him, he's like, oh, and then like, you know, Oz will tell me like, oh, check out the new Zerkova block or Zerkalo block coming out from Mompok. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Uh, sometimes Warcaster stuff comes down the pipe and, you know, it, like Souls and Matt have worked on it and created the concept. And then it's time to start fleshing out the rules. And I get to see it and be like, oh, that's like super weird and awesome looking. So like when I first saw the Empyreans, I had a really similar reaction of like, these are rad looking aliens. I did not expect it to come out like this.
2: I love it. Yeah,
0: some those, those sculpts intrigue me. Absolutely. Uh, do we know when the next Warcaster Kickstarter is starting? Do you have a date for that? No, it hasn't been announced yet. The, the two
3: Kickstarters we talked about that have not been announced uh, are the IKRPG 5e and the second wave of Warcaster. Um, I imagine very soon. I honestly, I mean, uh, I'm working on both projects in like an, an additional development capacity but I don't even know when the Kickstarter is actually going to happen.
0: Okay, cool. I was just curious. Um, all right. Ryan, you got anything you want to say before we close this one out?
2: Uh, nope. Overall, I'm super happy with how everything has gone, and I'm looking forward to getting back into CID with a couple of lists that I came up with while talking. So, you know, let's uh, let's get this bread, as the kids say.
3: <laughs> get there, yeah. Right. And for anybody who's listening who's, you know, been wondering the whole time what we're talking about you can go to cid.privateherpress.com it's where we do public beta tests of rules before they get their final version you can see all the current rules for a bunch of new legion stuff coming up as well as some old legion model changes and you can join in on the conversation
0: there yep a link to that will definitely be in the show notes a link to the kickstarter for riot quest will also be there um you know i'm excited about both these products so might as well include a link uh cutter what do you got
1: uh, I just want to express my thanks for coming on, spending this much time, putting this much care into the process. I think that the community really has recognized how much work you're putting in. And yeah, we really appreciate you coming and kind of giving your insights to all of us.
3: Well, no problem, I mean, That, like, I think open lines of communication um, is the way that, you know, we, we see it happening throughout the gaming industry. It's just the way that, that it should be, is being able to, to talk to everybody and, and sort of explain our intent and then get good feedback. It works out so well for everybody involved, so I'm, I'm more than happy to come on and do this kind of stuff.
2: Right, want to be like a weekly guest then? <laughs> uh,
3: I don't know that I've got time for a weekly guest. Uh, I would say if you want, and I don't know why you would want a weekly dose of me, but if you want a weekly dose of me, uh, I pop into the War Machine Discord pretty regularly to talk to people uh, and also, I'm pretty active on the War Machine Facebook groups run by the community. So, like, I try to have dialogues there as much as possible. But weekly pod- weekly two-hour podcast might be a bit much.
2: <laughs> yeah, we'll do it bi-weekly in only one hour. We'll, we'll start uh, doing it if you're in. It's fine. All
3: right. I'll, I'll see what I'll see what the the boss says.
2: He'll say no. <laughs> Bribed math. Quick. What does he like? Shit. <laughs> all right. uh,
0: I can't
2: well, say that.
3: Thank you. <laughs>
0: Thank you, Will, for coming on. Uh, Again, it's been a pleasure to have you uh, for the second time. And uh, yeah, I look forward to the changes you're going to be putting out for Monday and getting upset and excited all at the same time.
3: I can't wait for both.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, then I will say uh, a link to everything that we talked about will be in the show notes below. Uh, We have merch. It's cool looking. You can buy some of that uh and a link to the discord also where hungerford does like to hang out on occasion will be there and i think that will do so i would like to thank everybody for listening to episode 72 of blight bringers we'll talk to you again soon
1: cheers everyone
0: bye thanks will